0: And there's no question that Putin's ambitions go beyond Ukraine. He wants to reestablish the Soviet Union, the Soviet Empire, as it stood for centuries.
1: Higher oil, higher inflation, but importantly, you do not connect the dots to a U.S. recession because of this
2: event. I wasn't able to sleep because we were waiting for this invasion. And then at first, at 4.30, I heard the, fir- the first explosion.
3: You're listening to Podsui, the week's top stories served a la carte. Subscribe at thegreatvoice.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The standoff on the Russian-Ukrainian border turned into a full-fledged invasion on Thursday morning when Vladimir Putin sent troops and bombs into multiple cities around Ukraine, including the capital city of Kiev. President Biden announced the following retaliatory measures on Thursday afternoon.
0: Today, I'm authorizing additional strong sanctions and new limitations on what can be exported to Russia. This is going to impose severe cost on the Russian economy both immediately and over time. We have purposely designed these sanctions to maximize the long-term impact on Russia and to minimize the impact on the United States and our allies. We've now sanctioned Russian banks, that together hold around $1 trillion in assets. We've cut off Russia's largest bank, a bank that holds more than one-third of Russia's banking assets by itself, cut it off from the U.S. financial system. And today, we're also blocking four more major banks. That means every asset they have in America will be frozen. Retired Colonel
3: in the Marine Corps Reserves, Mark Hansian, currently a senior advisor at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, Went on the Mitch Album show, and Mitch asked if any of the sanctions the U.S. has levied on Russia will deter Putin from further military action. I think that the
0: short term answer is no. Uh, he clearly knew that these sanctions were coming, uh, and he made his move anyway. Uh, he's been um, um, structuring Russia to withstand these kinds of sanctions. They've built up a large cash reserve, they've tried to. Um, uh, uh, Make their supply chains domestic so they don't rely as much on um, foreign suppliers. Uh, So, in the short term, uh, he's not going to be deterred, and whatever is going to happen in Ukraine is going to happen.
4: Right now, I want to ask you about about the timing of that because uh, President Biden today was asked about. Uh, the same kind of thing, you know, what kind of effect are these things going to have or not? And he basically said, well, we're not going to be able to know now, but let's check back in a month and see how they're, and a lot of people heard that and said a month, you know, like they're not going to take them a month to take Ukraine at at this kind of rate, you know, uh, 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 carpet bombing, everything. And is, is that really the message you want to say? Like, well, we're going to just put these sanctions in and let's watch them starve a little bit and lose some of their money for a month.
0: Uh, well, I think that comes back to the point I made. That's right. That it'll take a while for sanctions to bite, and even a month, I don't think, uh, will be enough. I mean, it'll be months before they really uh, bite, and you know, whatever happens in Ukraine will be long over. And I think that the president's comment uh, acknowledges that.
4: Well, so then, what happens? Uh, are we basically acceding the fact that 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 Putin is going to take control of all of Ukraine? Uh, And then we're supposed to just wait and see if he comes to regret it because they have guerrilla warfare going on in the streets and and the people are poor and his bank account is frozen?
0: Uh, Well, that's a pretty harsh way of putting it, but that's essentially where we are. Well, you're in a harsh situation. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Because— uh, Putin and rather Putin, uh, Biden has been very clear that the United States is not going to send military forces into Ukraine. Uh, NATO countries have been uh, uh, clear about that. Also, there's no sentiment uh, among the NATO countries for military engagement. And there's really none in the United States either. There's no one in Congress, no member who's stood up and said we ought to send forces into Ukraine. So once you've taken that off the table, you know, you don't have a whole lot of tools left We've supplied them with uh, some equipment, and we've done a fair amount of that, and we could do more of that. Uh, You could do the sanctions. uh, You can stomp your feet in a diplomatic manner, uh, but that's pretty much about it. Uh, We've sent a lot of troops into Eastern Europe, but they aren't there to confront the Russians. They're there to reassure our Eastern European allies that in a crisis we'll be there, that we will respond, uh, not just this one, uh, but particularly in some future crisis,
4: uh,
0: all of them have. All right, well, do you feel that
4: do you feel that his desires go beyond Ukraine because the countries that border Ukraine, uh, you know, not only include former Soviet countries that were once part of the USSR, but countries like Romania, Hungary, Poland. Uh, and, and I imagine those countries are a little bit nervous right now.
0: They're terrified. They aren't just nervous. Uh, there's a lot of history here, uh, you know. Particularly when you talk about the the Baltic countries and uh, the poles, and and there's no question that Putin's ambitions go beyond Ukraine. He wants to uh, reestablish the Soviet Union, the Soviet Empire as it stood for centuries, and given um, uh, given his uh, you know uh, uh, choice, you know, uh, he would. Uh, expand beyond Ukraine. Now, what he's going to bump into is NATO, and that's a whole different uh, situation. You know, we are not uh, pledged to defend Ukraine, but we are pledged to defend the Baltic countries and Poland. And if he tried to make a move there, then we almost certainly would send troops to oppose him.
4: Now, is he crazy enough to try something like that when he's being frozen out economically? And a war like that was going to cost even more money than he socked away over the course of the last months. I mean, you take on the world. That's a little bit different than taking on Ukraine, which, you know, you can dominate and, and you've already bitten off little pieces of, but trying to attack a NATO country. I think there are people here who, who, who just are blinking their eyes going, there's no way that happens, is there? But let me ask the question, is there?
0: Well, a week ago, I would have said, there's no way that that would happen today, I'm not quite so sure. Uh, A lot depends on how this plays out in Ukraine. You know, if he overruns the country uh, relatively easily uh, and there's not a substantial uh, insurgency that has to be put down, then he might start eyeing, uh, particularly the Baltic countries, which are very exposed. Uh, On the other hand, you know, if there's a a major fight for Ukraine, if he only gets half the country and has to uh, stay east of the Dnepro, if there's a major insurgency, uh, then he's going to have his hands full and you know he can't be thinking about other other um, uh, actions.
5: I, I, I have a question. How long, if they do overtake Ukraine, but like you said, during the occupation, there will be a lot of resistance, how long does that happen before Russia would install their own government? Are we talking months or is this once it's over, immediate?
0: Oh no! I'm sure the Russians already have a government that's ready to go into place, and all they have to do is break into uh, Kiev to to you know install that government. It, it'll happen immediately because we've seen that before. You know when they uh, invaded Afghanistan back in the whatever 1970s, you know they brought in a government immediately when they um, uh, invaded the Eastern European countries after the Second World War. They had a government ready to go, uh, a government in exile. So they'll be doing the same thing. Mm.
4: Well, it, it seems like, you know, they'll put in a puppet government and maybe they'll pull back their forces after that because, you know, they're only they're only a whistle away. But it seems like something permanent has been broken now between Putin and the West.
0: I, I think there's no question about that, uh, that, you know, many people, you know, myself included, just couldn't believe that he was going to do something like this, you know, that he might bite off more in the East, something in the Donbass. But, you know, a strike... Uh, at Ukraine as an independent country uh, just seemed difficult to um, to imagine, but now he's done it. And in the long term, I think that will galvanize NATO uh, that many of the countries who had you know, cut way back on their military spending will start increasing. And to be fair to them, many of them have been increasing their spending over the last number of years. I think you'll see that increasing. You're going to see a very big increase in the U.S. defense budget next year. Uh, well, the proposed budget for 23, uh, partly as a result of this experience over the last month or so, pointing out that the United States cannot pull back out of Europe just to focus on China. It's going to have to be uh, engaged globally, and that takes money.
4: What is China's China's position on this? And I'm sure you saw that President Biden was asked, have you spoken to China about taking a position on on this, and he said, I'm not prepared to answer that question, Mm -hmm. which was interesting.
0: Well, many people are worried that China's watching this and will come away with a lesson that taking over, you know, uh, uh, what you regard as a breakaway province is not going to um, uh, engender the kind of, you know, military response that you might fear. Uh, That would be a mistaken Uh, lesson to learn. But the fear is that they will do that. And the reason it'd be a mistaken lesson is the United States has pretty clearly pledged military support to Taiwan in a way that they never did for Ukraine. And if the Chinese did try to take over Taiwan uh, militarily, then that that probably would spark a U.S.
4: military. And that could be the start of World War Three.
3: One of the first things we will feel here in the United States as a result of a war between Russia and Ukraine will be pain at the gas pump with Russia producing about 10% of the world's oil supply. Patrick Dehan from GasBuddy.com on All Talk with Tom Jordan and Kevin Dietz.
5: You know, the the short answer is we don't know yet how much it's going to cost us because, uh, you know, the, the worst hasn't necessarily been realized just yet. But Russia has uh, obviously a sizable amount of oil production It supplies 10%. Uh, Of the globe's uh, total consumption. And so, um, you know, the worry is that uh, with the West putting sanctions on Russia, that Russia could retaliate by uh, curbing oil exports. So, you know, depending on how Russia takes this and exactly what way they respond, uh, they could curtail oil and cause oil prices to spike.
6: So would Russia raise prices on gasoline going to Europe would they cut them off and if and if they cut off Europe what would that what would happen then is it, are there other sources that they could get gas from are there enough sources outside of Russia but it would just cause the prices to go up
5: Well there's there's two main issues here one with oil and one with natural gas uh the natural gas pipeline nord stream 2 uh was was referenced uh, by the German chancellor yesterday as as, uh, delaying it uh, indefinitely. Um, Russia already, uh, when the Germans delayed the pipeline last fall, Russia cut natural gas shipments to Europe uh, to to basically punish them. Um, And that led to a a big jump in natural gas prices. The concern is that Russia would basically do the same thing with oil, Um, you know, or, or they could, you know, do either or. They could cut natural gas and oil if they really, uh, if they really wanted to. And that's the concern is that, that they could impair shipments out of their country depending on, you know, sanctions from the West.
7: You know, these financial restrictions uh, that the United States is now going to be putting on Russian banks, it means Russia doesn't get paid for the gas it supplies to the West, meaning that flow is essentially cut off. And so the supply is depleted and our prices go up because of more demand. So so what do you think happens here? I mean, can Biden release more oil from the uh, strategic reserves, or are there some other options that he will consider?
5: Well, the West isn't going to be foolish enough to uh, to, to implement sanctions on Russia's energy. So I wouldn't expect that, you know, the U.S. or Europe, uh, you know, natural gas shipments, Europe has said will resume. And I'm sure Europe and U.S. the U.S. is going to be very careful to allow payments to continue to flow to Russia for natural gas. Um, you know, they'd be shooting themselves in the foot um, unnecessarily by issuing sanctions on the actual energy sector itself. Uh, They'll be very careful to avoid that. My concern is that the Russians could obviously figure that out uh, and could curtail shipments of oil and natural gas on their own. The West knows that they need Russia. Uh, Global oil production would be uh, depleted relatively quickly. There'd be a massive imbalance between supply and demand without Russia's energy. So they're not going to sanction Russia's, Russia's energy. They may uh, sanction some of the financial sector, but that's a concern yeah. that Russia will retaliate, right, by limiting oil or natural gas exports. And then there's really nothing we can do, right? There's no, there's no Russia, there's no Saudi Arabia or U.S. just sitting on the sidelines waiting to pick up the theme. And that's why we're so concerned about what that could do to energy prices.
7: Yeah. So what about this other option? Um, Could Biden restore oil and gas land leases in the United States so we return to more of our own energy independence? Is that something he would ever consider?
5: Sure. But that's not going to help today, tomorrow or even in a year. Um, You know, that's something that takes four to five years. So you know, everyone blaming the president for the current status of, you know, energy independence, that that has nothing to do with Biden. That has everything to do with the fact that the pandemic caused Americans to stop driving, which induced oil companies to turn production. There's, there's no magic lever. Biden's policies would affect prices down the road. So he, even if he did rescind those policies, again, it's still going to affect energy prices maybe in two to three years time. So, you know, there's no, there's nothing Biden can do. Although, you know, Iran which President Trump sanctioned after he pulled us out of Joint Plan of Action. That, that's really the only possibility here that could offset part of Russia's oil production. Uh, you'll remember back in 2017, Trump pulled us out of the Joint Plan of Action. Oil prices went up. We sanctioned Iran. Their oil can't make it to the global market. Now, if we make a new nuclear deal with Iran, their oil could flow. And that's why oil prices this week are not yet hitting $100 a barrel is because it looks very, very close. Uh To a deal uh, that we could make with Iran, so oil prices are back off a little bit. they're down at ninety two dollars instead of ninety five Arguably, they'd be at a hundred dollars if Iran was not on the table and I think that's why the President and other countries are taking the step of making a nuclear deal with Iran.
6: Does russia need the income from the West, or could they reduce the supply
1: and uh perhaps uh you know ship to other mm-hmm. other customers ship
4: to the east?
5: Well, there's a couple different options Russia can take. The nuclear option would just to be, you know, uh, cut cut completely exports and oil prices rise dramatically. But as you mentioned, I mean, 10 million barrels a day multiplied by, we'll say, $90 uh, a barrel. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars in lost revenue per day from Russia. But if they also sense their economy is faltering um, and that they're going to go down, maybe they take that nuclear option and, and try and take down, you know, some of the other economies as well, because they know President uh, Biden has been – trying to bring down the price of energy. So what would the Russians do if they feel like they're back into a corner? Well, they'll stop shipping oil. So that's that's part of the other concern. But yeah, Russia
3: needs that income. And what about the rest of the economy? David Sowerby, managing director at Encore Advisors with
1: Paul W. Smith. The S&P 500 was already off about 13% from its 52-week high. So we were technically in a correction, not a bear market. And I suspect, as you said, higher... Higher oil, higher inflation, but importantly, you don't, you do not connect the dots to a U.S. recession because of this event at this time. I don't, I, I believe that quite firmly.
7: Well, we're hoping you're right.
1: I you mean, know, that's it, a big it, deal,
7: and it is what some people are jumping to. Is we we realize that obviously oil is Russia's most important export, but both Russia and Ukraine also. Our large agricultural suppliers, they send wheat, rye, barley, other grains to Central Asia, the Middle East. Any disruptions in commodities will send global food prices higher, putting pressure on U.S. consumers as well.
1: It it will. And, you know, a couple of things to think about today, maybe too simple, but still, I think, deserves merit is today's stock prices are not your stock prices for the future we know the futures are down 2%, oil's up, uh, gold prices are up 3%, German markets are down 5%. It, it, it will be a challenge in a very near term, but we typically find out after. If you look back to uh, the last 75 years and you look at these kind of events, absent World War II, six months from today, stocks are usually 7 to 9% higher. Uh, because the market eventually goes back to what matters—profits, interest rates, you name it—and today is not your stock prices. And let's not forget that in, in the case of Russia, this is an economy that's less than two percent of world GDP. Sure, they their big exports are natural gas and wheat, but beyond that, this is this is still still a pretty small economy. They'll go into recession. They did after they invaded Crimea in 2014. But I think for the U.S. and the global economies to go into recession, very, very low probability. Well,
7: remember, i I, I know you do, but the chips and the crisis that has caused and how it's affected us tremendously in the auto industry. Now, I, I know they're coming out with record profits, et cetera, et cetera. Not great for the people out shopping for a car that are paying Uh, The MSRP now for the first time in a long time. But when we consider that uh, Russia produces just under half of the world's palladium and smaller portions of platinum and nickel, these are key elements in complex microchips used in everything from electrical meters to cars. They're a major producer of aluminum. They They can do things to hold back from us the same way we're about to announce at noon when they get the president up. Uh, what we're going to hold back from them, and Ukraine is Europe's top producer of uranium, has vast deposits of titanium, uh, iron, mercury. I mean, there's there's a lot going on here, and uh,
1: there it, is lots of moving parts. and And in the short term, there's going to be more disruptions, but I have great faith that the, the private sector is pretty well skilled to adapt to these shortages. And come up with, with alternative solutions that will still produce cars in, in Michigan and in the United States. People still have a very healthy demand for, for, for cars. It may impact the EV markets a little bit, but I suspect if you and I have this conversation six months from today, stocks will be higher and auto sales will still be running at a fairly healthy clip.
3: In a war, the greatest cost is human cost. Natalia Gusik is a Ukrainian mother and activist who just returned to her home country after spending a year studying at Wayne State on scholarship. Natalia returned home to care for her sick son and cannot leave until he is healthy enough to travel. Natalia joined Guy Gordon by video link from Kiev.
2: I have never experienced that I had experienced this last 16 hours. So it, it is like, you know... I, I, wasn't, I didn't never imagine that it could be possible in, in this century. And, uh, this, uh, for the last 16 hours, you know, my son is hospitalized, uh, because of his COVID and, uh, I was at home and, uh, at, I wasn't able to sleep because, you know, we were waiting for the decision and we were waiting for this invasion. And uh, I was not able to uh, fall asleep until 4 a.m. And then at, first, at 4.30, I heard the, fe- the first explosion in Ki- near Kiev. And there were, like, you know, three of them. And in 10 minutes, the fourth one. And um, my husband is working for the government, so he wasn't at home and uh, I was really in panic what to do, what will be my next steps because my son in the hospital in the other bank of the river uh, Dnipro so we were divided with these old bridges and the first thing I did I just arrived here in the hospital now I am here with him in hospital and uh, we were staying together just to support each other and for the last Two hours we were in a basement because we were waiting for the next bombing of Kiev. But hopefully now we are coming back.
6: Have you managed to maintain communications? We know there were cyber attacks against you. Were they civilian in nature or were they against the government where your husband works? Tell me what that's been like.
2: Uh, this cyber attacks was mostly for the government resources and, uh, you know, we had connection, for now we had, and it, it's a little bit unstable, but I can chat and I can text to my relatives, we are calling to get to each other, yeah, so that sounds, they are flying over over the city, so I'm just trying to, to hear is there any signal for, to go to Understood. the safe place
6: um you know that i i've talked to local ukrainians here in detroit that felt that putin was that this was a con job that he was just trying to extort concessions from the west that he wasn't going to invade and i even heard that from some uh interviews in in Kiev of, of from your countrymen was this a surprise for many because we know there was no mass exodus in advance of this what's changed in the past 16 hours in terms of the national mood and um. your perspective
2: You know we were we didn't want to believe that it possible we were expecting but we were waiting for the last i you know we were not expecting that it could even happen and we were waiting but we believed that they will change their mind i mean russia and and nothing happened and now what i can see from Uh, people around. When I was driving to the hospital, there are, uh, you know, almost all citizens, they're going, uh, they're trying to go to the Western Ukraine or to go abroad with their families just to be safe. And uh, what I saw, because, again, I'm in the hospital and I was buying some drugs. There is a huge lines near the drugstores near Mm -hmm. the grocery shops and people are trying to get everything they will need for the first time and uh, I I cannot say there is a massive panic but people are really worried about their safety and they are trying to go to some more safety places and uh, you know we have like uh, this great channel for information. Mm -hmm. And some our uh, veterans, they check this uh, sites, websites, and they put information that it's uh, like a fake and this is not relevant to provide not relevant information. And we always like, you know, communicate with each other. Hopefully, we, we still can do this.
6: Your friends here in this country are are concerned because we've heard that the Russians have hit lists, uh, that they're going to target people that were pro-democracy and that they would be perceived as maybe dissidents in the making. Um, And they say you're that kind of a person, that you're very active, you're very strong, and you're very brave. How concerned are you about that when you hear these reports that the Russians may be targeting people like you?
2: Honestly, I'm really anxious about this. I'm feeling that my family is really vulnerable and uh, I will try to go to the Western Ukraine to my extended family, to my parents as soon as I can leave the hospital with my son. So I will do this when I, will, when I can do.
6: What is your level of confidence in your military right now? They're having a very hard time of it. Um, I think the forces we're looking at are three times larger than the Ukrainian army. Where do you think we'll be in a few days?
2: they are really brave and it's really they're really like you know patriots of Ukraine and they will do everything they can and you know I have been working with veterans for the last years and I know how brave and how great they are but there is it's not enough there are not so many people in our armed forces but they are some some of them who participated in this ongoing war since 2014, they are really well-trained. So I believe them.
6: Do you feel alone? Um, Obviously, this is going to be Ukraine's war to fight.
2: I do. I do. I think that sometimes when I was reading through all this, you know, all the statements from different government, from different countries. I'm just feeling that, you know, some countries just only talking and leave us alone to struggle with all these issues related to Russia Federation.
6: And what do you most want Americans to know?
2: I just want to know to say as i was talking i was uh this, i i have been talking about this for the last year when I was in the United States that you know we 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 have ongoing war since two thousand and fourteen, mm-hmm. and no appropriate reaction means that they can do everything they were trying the first step it was successful then the next step it's again can be successful, but the european country countries could be the next one it's again you look know, like a challenge for our democracy and for all this international agreements it doesn't work it seems like it doesn't work
6: okay i the uh, you're being very brave um in the face of all this i i i, I admire your your bravery natalia um is There was a sense of defiance on the part of the Ukrainian people. We have seen them weapons training. We have seen women, young teens, weapons training. But in the face of real violence, is the resolve still there to defend your country?
2: Oh, yeah. There are so many brave people staying here. Yeah, they are. They will. Those who are really afraid about their children and families, they were trying to move to the Western Ukraine and uh, to Poland, but they will come back. All right. I, I, I truly believe they will do.
6: All right. So what are your plans? Uh, when can your son get out of the hospital, and when can you get to a place of safety?
2: Uh, honestly, um, I'm just... I'm just thinking step by step. And the first step for me is just to get my son from this hospital. And I I hope, hopefully, he will be better. And then the next step, go to my parents to make sure they are safe. And then, who knows, maybe. Maybe I will try to find safety for some time somewhere else.
6: All right. Well, you are in our thoughts and our prayers, and uh, we, we wish for peace for Ukraine. We wish for independence, certainly. And we appreciate you sharing your your time and,
3: and at some peril doing that. We appreciate
6: it.
2: Thank you. Slava Ukraini.
3: They'll do it for Potsui this week. For our full interviews or anything else you might have missed, go to the thegreatvoice.com. See you next time.